Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast which explores human behavior in business and how it impacts people, performance and profit. With the cost of a recruitment mistake averaging anywhere from 30k to six figures, recruitment is one thing you don't want to get wrong. In this episode of the Misbehave podcast, we show you how applying behavioral understanding to your recruitment process allows you to better predict success prior to hire. We cover everything from determining job-specific behaviors, crafting job adverts that speak to your ideal candidate and applying neutrality to your interview process to really see through the smoke and mirrors to recruit the right person every time. Let's misbehave. Welcome back to the Misbehave podcast with Laura and Sarah. Today we are going to talk about all things recruitment and how misbehavior can sometimes find its way into your recruitment process. The first point of this really is from a worst case scenario, people are recruiting into their business with no additional insight tools. So simply going off an interview process and a gut feel, essentially. There are then businesses that use some sort of profiling tool, whether that's a psychometric test, whether that's a personality profile. And that gives you definitely more information than the previous option. But often what happens is they are not used in the right way or the information that you get actually isn't that useful. You know, if we think about personality profiles as an example, it's interesting to know if somebody's extroverted, but there's not actually anything you can do about personality. Personality is static. We've talked about that on previous podcasts. So while it's interesting, there's not a whole lot that you can do with that information. So really today we want to talk about what the difference that behavior makes and how with behavioral insight, you can almost predict success prior to hire. You can certainly increase the success levels, can't yeah. you? And I think just to, just to pick up on that point, Laura, we're in a we're in a current market where it's tricky for an awful lot of businesses. There's a lot of pressure. You know, it's a candidate driven marketplace currently. And I think it's difficult for businesses. Business a lot of businesses are losing staff and they're having to recruit quickly. Businesses are being like the staff are being poached, there's shortages, there's skill shortages. So this subject, I know, and we know because we're speaking to a lot of people, this is really like a high on the pain point of a lot of businesses that we're working with. So we wanted to give you some insight, but also some top tips. So as with all of the podcasts, you will get your three top tips at the end of this. <laughs> and I think it's particularly pertinent to discuss this in the current the current landscape. You know, with the personality stuff, it you can do something with it in the sense that it's knowledge and, you know, knowledge is useful. If you've got a particular job role where you want to a particular profile of someone, what we want to talk about and explore today is, is that this takes it to another level. It is such an expensive investment, recruitment, like it's huge. So if you think about how much you're investing in recruiting a new replacement or recruiting into a new post, so it's it's a new fixed cost for the business, it's it's a risk. Something like 30 grand, isn't it? I think that was the, that's the average figure that actually is what it costs you by the time you factor in recruitment time, agencies if you use them, onboarding, downtimes and productivity, all of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it will vary depending on the job. But yeah, imagine if you were making that kind of decision, you stop and think about it. What lens would you go to in order to make sure that that recruitment process is going to give you something really great at the end of it? Now, you know, even with all of the knowledge that we know about behaviour, you know, it does, it's not foolproof. It doesn't mean that you're always going to make it 
make the right decision because we're dealing with people, right? Yeah, and we're, we're, we're variable and there's lots of other things come into account. You know, sometimes you can recruit someone and they go through something massive personally or, you know, there can be lots of things that can happen. What we want to do is to give the listeners some some tips to increase their opportunity of success, but also to make sure that you bring in the right people because if you bring in the wrong person into your business, it can have significant negative impact on other people if they're not the right fit. So there's the fit bit and then there's also the are you are you the right person for the role? And what we want to make sure is is that the person coming in is the right fit for the business from a value standpoint, but also they're going to enjoy the role and the environment they're going to work in. So that is as much around you protecting their choice as well as you protecting your business's choice. Yeah. And I think where people are now starting to think about behavior more is value-driven behavior. So we're seeing a, this big shift now over the last couple of years of people doing more around testing value-driven behavioral fit. You know, do they think like us? Do they value the same things as us? Do they believe in what we believe in? But that's just one piece of it. You know, the second piece of it is, like you just said, around what are the behaviors? And and there will be normally, it's not, it just doesn't have to be complicated, but there will normally be two or three dominant behaviors that are needed in each role. Now, obviously, when we do behavioral profiling, it's way, way broader than that. You know, we look at 20 plus different indicators. But if you were to really drill it down in most roles, there's two or three dominance. You know, if you were to recruit a target driven salesperson. You're going to want somebody who is high achievement, high goal focus. If you're going to recruit someone who is going to do like operational excellence, you're going to want someone who's high on process, high on detail. You're going to recruit someone who's going to do risk or an analytical job like financial management or accountancy or something like that. You're going to want somebody who's got reflection in them, who's got some challenge focus where they look at problems and want to solve them. So for each role, there's there's a few probably dominance that you want to be thinking about when you're specking the job and then layering in the team dynamic piece to that. So especially if you've got a team where people really need to work together and complement each other. So a leadership team, a management team, a project team. It's not just about thinking about the job in isolation. You know, we've just done some work with the leadership team and we did some profiling of their existing team and we found that there was two or three pretty big gaps. And actually it was coming through and how they worked with each other. So when they recruited a new member onto that team, yes, they were recruiting behavioral fit for the job he was going to do, but they also really purposely said, we need somebody to have these three behaviors as dominant because that's what they're going to bring to our team. Yeah. I mean, it's diversity of yeah, thinking, isn't absolutely. it, as well? And and I think it would be useful, I think, Laura, just to talk about that job spec piece and yeah. that how do, how do businesses ensure that they're writing a job spec that will attract the right person? For the listeners, have a think. Do you have a standardized job description template and then a standardized job advert template that you use and you tweak dependent on the role? Or is it the same thing, which... Is most businesses. Yeah. But even so, even if, it, if you're just tweaking it and taking out the title and adding in the, the difference in responsibilities, the likelihood is you aren't talking the same language as the person you want to attract. So we're massive believers in actually tweak and well rewrite your job descriptions and your job, particularly your job adverts. If you want to, if your job advert to filter the people that apply. So actually it's a great filter mechanism. 
time is money. So if you're spending hours and hours and hours filtering through hundreds and hundreds of applicants, but most of those are people that you wouldn't be a good fit, your job advert can be the best filter for you. So it's a great way of saving money, but also attracting the right people for that job role. And the easiest way to do that is to use language that appeals to them. Yeah. So, you know, it could be as simple as if we take the sales role that we talked about before, if you're looking for somebody who's achievement driven or goal focused, you're going to want to use that type of language. You will achieve. The goal of this role is to, the output will be, the solution to this is, it's all goal or solution driven language. Equally, if you're looking for somebody who's more procedural, write the job advert in a procedural way numbers, bullet points, step by step, something like that. If you're recruiting somebody who needs to be high initiation, quick, they're going to be action focused, keep it short. They will not want a two page job advert. They'll want a quick overview, give them the actions, give them the big picture. So it's just about really considering that putting yourself in the shoes of the person who you might be recruiting and actually a good way to do this because sometimes that's tricky if you're the opposite If you've got people in the business currently who are those patterns, so say, for example, you were recruiting a developer, speak to some other developers in the business, have them help you craft that job advert to something that they would want to see. That's the easiest way to do it because they're going to think in the same behavioural patterns as the person who might be applying. Absolutely. And I know we're going to come on to our behavioural tool uh, to give the listeners some insight into that. But, you know, it's about looking at your high performers. Ideally, you want to recruit a duplicate of your high performers or someone who's definitely similar to that, because guess what? They're they're performing well in the role. Obviously, there will be some standardisation stuff. What we're not saying is everything has to be bespoke. You know, your values, some of the cultural fit stuff, you know, that that can come through. But I think it's really important to consider What are you doing? We talked about this in proposals and things in one of the podcasts we've done previously around sort of attracting the right sales pitch and how you present yourself. One size doesn't fit all when it comes to people Mm -hmm. and people's behaviours are, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to be an expert in this. It's about thinking methodically what kind of person loves that sort of thing. So if it's a process, you want to, you want to structure it in a process. Now for Laura and I, you know, sometimes it's difficult because if you're recruiting, the opposite to you, you will naturally gravitate to what you would want to read. Laura said that earlier, but I just want to reiterate that because it is so important not to default to yours, which is often what happens. Or you have an HR team who, you know, they, they will default to theirs. Absolutely. So it's it's just a question of thinking about this more personally. And you think it takes more time. It might initially, but it will filter out and you will gain that time back tenfold after the fact. I remember it was a few years ago now. We worked with a client of ours who's now actually become a close friend, but we worked with them when they were crafting a job advert and we used the tool to actually create what we call an ideal fit map. And we mapped out the dominant behaviours that we wanted in that role. We then wrote a job advert for that. And I remember sitting in on the interviews and three separate people and actually the lady that we ended up hiring said, it was really weird. Like when I was reading the job advert, I just felt like it was written for me. I was like, oh, that's funny because it was. But it's that, it's that. Because remember this, all this stuff subconscious and actually you just want people to read something and go, oh my God, that's like the thing that I've been looking for. They might not be able to articulate exactly what it was, but it will just hit them on a subconscious level. And like you said, the flip will happen as well. Someone will read it on a subconscious level. They'll just go, "Eh, no. Like if if you're not procedural, 
and you read a very procedural job advert, the likelihood is that on a subconscious level, you'll just reject it because yeah. it won't it won't feel like it would fit you very well. Absolutely. And I think there's so many, I mean, there's lots of new sort of workplace trends and focus around culture. And, you know, people are wanting to go and work in a place where the culture is great. But th- this sort of communication is part of that culture. You want to speak to the employee, your, you know, your future employees. You want them to feel like it's a good fit before they even come into the come into the interview. And I think um, that's really important. It would be great to move on and let's look at some of the competency-based questioning that people tend to use. So we've worked with lots of businesses on their recruitment strategy, going in and looking at how can they improve that in order to increase their success levels. And there are an awful lot of businesses that do use competency-based frameworks. The challenge we have with these is that people rehearse the questions and it's not bad intention from a, some, a candidate, but they want, to, they want to do the best job they can. So you're asking them questions and they will sense what they think you want to hear. Yeah. And so what people do is it's not that they're misbehaving per se, but they're putting on their... Or knowingly misbehaving. Knowingly yeah. misbehaving, but they're putting on their best sort of their best self. You know, they're thinking about what you they think the interviewers want to hear and then they respond accordingly. That's because you want the job. So that's natural. What we want to do is is get you thinking about how can you question in an interview? How can you pose questions that people A, can't rehearse, but B, they almost like we've we've got lots of these, but and we're going to throw some out there to give you give you some examples. But where people actually they just answer from their gut and it's 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 true and it's about it's about how they really, really feel. So one of my favorite questions that we we throw in is um it's that question of it, what would be your perfect working day? imagine you could do whatever you wanted to do. How would it start? What would it consist of? And what would you be doing? Now, people can't rehearse that stuff. So they'll just tell you, you know, I like to get up early. I'll go for have a coffee. I'll do it. And then they'll talk about that working environment. I love being in amongst team meetings. I want to be speaking to clients on the phone. That is different to asking someone, you know, typically what would your day consist of? Tell me what you think this job would be. That they will have read the job spec and rehearsed that. So it's a it's really important to ask questions where people can't rehearse them and where they will really speak from from their heart and where you're asking them from a neutral standpoint. Yeah. And when we do behavioral recruitment training with either recruiters or line managers, we get them to understand their own dominant behaviors first because you will typically interview or run a recruitment process according to your dominant patterns. Yeah. So if you're procedural, your recruitment process is like to, likely to be fairly procedural. If you're achievement driven, you will likely ask questions, A, in an achievement driven way, but also your benchmark will be, is someone also achievement driven? Like for like, we subconsciously gravitate towards people that are like us. Yeah. And it causes biases because, and it's it's all n- nine times out of 10 is subconscious, but you know, it's things like you want to be looking at your interview questions and looking for neutrality in those questions. So as an example, instead of asking something like, what was your biggest achievement in your last job? You've asked a a question in an achievement driven way. Therefore, the person will tell you an achievement, whether or not they are motivated by achievement or not. So you might then make an assumption, oh, this person's achievement driven. They'd fit very well into our achievement driven culture. They might not be, but they're answering you the way you've asked it. Whereas if you flip that question, you said something like, what are you most proud of from your last role? 
they will then be more likely to answer you from their dominant motivation. So if they're achievement driven, they'll talk about achievements. If they're driven by people, they'll talk about people. If they're driven by power and progression, they'll talk about the role that they took in leading something or hierarchy or something like that. So you're way more likely to get a, a real insight. And that's why we say this helps you predict success prior to hire because you're more likely to get a real insight into what drives them, not through the lens of your own biased questioning without even realising it. Yeah. And it's not intentional. It's not. But no. One thing that is tricky, or well, I want to pause this question, it just popped into my head, but if you work in a larger organisation where the process is pretty structured because it needs to be because they need to have that like for like comparison and scoring sheet and they they want to drive like a real um an equal playing field for candidates sometimes some of the things we're talking about can be a bit more tricky to fit in so what we're not saying is is that you'd have a different recruitment process for different people you still have the standardized process you just ask the questions in a in a neutral way so you might still have the same questions for everybody, but you're asking it in a way that doesn't drive them to answer in a particular way. I just think that's worth us noting. Totally. And and your process wouldn't necessarily change. You just might flex it depending on the person. So for example, you've got someone high initiation, you might move that process quicker than you usually would, because it's likely that if something feels like it's dragging on, they don't have any deadlines as to when they're going to get feedback they might just disengage. You know, we did some work recently with a client who were really struggling to recruit. They recruit a lot of graduates and they were really struggling to do it. And actually what we found found when we profiled a bunch of people, a lot of them were high initiation. So we didn't change the recruitment process from a perspective of how they screened people, all of that. We just did a lot of that pre-recruitment fair and then they gave offers out on the spot. So they, they almost just sped stuff up. They didn't change the process. I think it's interesting as well to mention, because we've had quite a lot of this recently about assessment centres, mm-hmm. because they're really interesting when you think about behaviours. So we've got some clients that bring us in to sort of sit and watch people in an assessment centre, or we've run profiles of people. Sometimes when you put people in a group, interesting things happen to people's behaviours. Yeah. So for example, someone who's high initiation and driven by action will likely be the person that speaks first. And if you've got people who are the opposite of that and they're more reflective and they just need five minutes to process a question when you've asked it and then they'll respond, they might not shine as well in an assessment centre situation, but it doesn't mean they wouldn't be good in the job if you need to recruit those types of behaviours. So yeah. it's about being really cognizant of that, that some some behavioural types don't perform very well in an assessment centre, but if those are the behaviours, so let's take, for example, if you were recruiting somebody into an analytical role, a risk assessment, um, quantity surveying, accountancy, something like that, where they have to do lots of analysis. They're probably more procedural. They need to be more reflective. Those people are not going to shine necessarily in an assessment centre when in the mix with people who are more action driven, because they're going to sit back a little bit and take some time to process. So again, this is where it's just really important to think about the different tools that you use and are they are they right for the role that you're recruiting for? And are you going to get really an interview should not be about tripping people up. It should be about people putting people in a situation where they are going to be able to show you the best version of themselves, but not in a um, smoke and mirrors way, but actually just be able to show you who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
you know, with <laughs> with different roles, you might have. So if it was a sales environment, you know, you might do a, a yeah, assessment center. Absolutely. For example, that could work perfectly. Um, we haven't got time in this podcast to talk about recruitment from a leadership standpoint. I think we're going to save that one for <laughs> another day. But, you know, there's lots that we do get questioned a lot about, like leadership types and how do you use this stuff to influence decisions around leaders. But I think we need to put a pin in that one. We will come back to it. But it's such an interesting concept because the recruitment, the recruitment's often it's it's a bigger risk. It's a bigger Absolutely. fixed yeah. cost. Obviously, they're going to be leading the business in some way. So, um, but what we're talking about today does apply to that, but I do think we'll we'll allocate some time to talk through that stuff in a future session. So what would be interesting, I think, just for us to to loop in some of the things we've been sharing at, we do have a tool. So Duo have uh, its own, uh, you know, bespoke behavioral assessment tool, which does some of this. Now, we just want to highlight, this is why we feel so passionate about behaviors, because we have seen firsthand with the hundreds of candidates that we've helped screen with the tool, um, how this can really help inform a decision when someone is, when a business is making a decision with, say for example, you've got a final shortlist of five or 10 candidates and you're sitting thinking, which one do we go for? This tool can be super useful in um, helping you sort of look at, compare it to an ideal score, for an example, Laura, Laura mentioned that earlier. But also sometimes when you're in an interview, there's something doesn't feel right and you can't always describe it. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever had that. We definitely have. We've come out of an interview and you're like, there's just something I can't put my finger on. And often it's linked to someone's behaviours. Sometimes it's them wanting to be something they're not. So what they're saying in their body language isn't congruent. Mm-hmm. Obviously not everybody's as expert with us would be able to read that in person, but you can just feel there's something not right. Sometimes an assessment like this just gives you additional knowledge and insight it's not to rule someone in or out unless they've absolutely got the wrong patterns altogether. But it's about you then looking and comparing and saying, right, actually, what would be the best fit? And that that is for the candidate and for the business. Absolutely, because it, that gut thing's really interesting because we're big believers and, you know, we run our business on this, that like your gut's usually right. But when it comes to recruitment, it's sometimes not because talking about the whole like me bias we talked about before often your gut is resonating with someone like you so actually that little niggle that you might have around someone what what the behavioral assessment allows you to do is to cross-check whether actually that little niggle would be a deal breaker in the job Mm -hmm. therefore you've got that or actually whether that little niggle is just because they've got very opposite patterns to you but in the role that you're recruiting for you need that. You know, you'll have heard us talk before about that whole thing of don't recruit people who you wouldn't go for a drink with after work. That is total rubbish. If you run a business where, because you need people of all behavioural types in different jobs. There's plenty of people that I've worked with that we've recruited into specific roles who were total rock stars in those roles. I wouldn't particularly want to socialise with them on a weekend, but actually they had the exact behaviours that we needed in that job. So often that gut feel piece is interesting in recruitment because sometimes your gut, it's, your gut can be biased as well. So this kind of gives you a reference point for that. Mm, Absolutely. And and also what we're not saying is, you, you know, you would use this kind of insight in addition to Everything yeah, else. skills assessment, yeah. making sure they've got the right qualifications, Absolutely. making sure there are values fit. This isn't something that is a replacement for all and of either those. Or. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 
just to do a little summary, because we're conscious that in these podcasts, we throw a lot of things at you. I mean, we were very restrained there. I just want to point that I, out. I feel like we were. Yeah. <laughs> because usually we want to give everything. So we have put a pin in some of the leadership stuff, which we'll come back to. But just to summarise, um, some little tips that you could go away and do now. If you're recruiting, first of all, look at the role that you're recruiting for and look at it from a behavioural standpoint in two ways. First of all, what are the main behaviors and when we say main it's probably only two or three things you know we don't want to recruit everybody who's got the same behavioral type but there might be dominant behaviors that you need you know like for example salesperson achievement driven might be one what are the two or three dominant behaviors that you think you need in that role for somebody to be successful and then if they're going to work in a team where they need to work very collaboratively together like a management team a project team what we mentioned before have you got any gaps in that team currently that you could fill with this role that would also align with the job? So that's kind of step number one. Second piece really is then how do you pull through some of those almost trigger words, language, how you write the job ad so that it resonates with that behavioural type that you're looking to recruit? And then lastly, going and having a little look at your, your set of interview questions and asking yourself how neutral are they? You know, are there any in there that's either giving the person an indication of what you want to hear from them? Are there any that's asking questions in a way that they might respond in a way that isn't their dominant behaviours? So cross-checking those interview questions for what you're looking for is neutrality across all of them, where you're asking a question and that person can really give you an answer in the true form that they're driven by and that they're motivated by. So then you can make a decision based on them not based on the version that they think that you want to be. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Misbehave podcast. Hit the subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.